0: Welcome to season two of the Warriors of Education podcast, bringing you heartwarming and real conversations with teachers on the front line of education across the globe. I'm Karen Sarah Watson. I'm not only the host, but I am a teacher. This podcast is for people who want to better understand the experience of today's teachers. Come join us. Welcome to season two of the Warriors of Education podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have two teachers from Austin, Texas. I have Zane Messina. Who, is, who taught for 11 years in Bastrop, Texas and Round Rock, Texas. He is no longer a teacher, but we're going to talk about that on the podcast. And Ben Sterling, who is the president of the Teachers Union at Round Rock. Edu- it's called Education Round Rock. Thank you both for coming on. I am really um, curious and excited that we're going to talk all about Texas because you guys are so big on the news. And I want to find out what exactly is happening right now in Texas. So if you can just, um, it, we're going to start with Zane if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me where you came from in teaching and where you are now we'll start with that and then we'll get to Ben
1: um, okay so I uh, was originally like dead set against ever being a teacher um, both my both my parents uh, are teachers and I got a degree in acting um, <clears throat> which is actually how I met Ben um, we both went to New York and uh we're working and acting performing up there um but you know it's a weird gig and the schedules are strange and I had a fiance who was like hey we never see each other so you we got to figure something out so I was like okay well let's let's move back to Texas and um you know I'll I'll become a teacher because that I had like an encounter with a guy I worked with who was a former teacher and kind of changed my thinking on it and it became something I wanted to do so I got an alternative certification and um, became a teacher at Bastrop Middle School, which is a Title One school and uh, taught uh, initially, <laughs> I had kind of like a baptism by fire. I, I had a teacher, uh, she retired in like December um, and the school was academically unacceptable for like two years running. And so this was like our last chance and they just kind of threw me in there um, and said, don't mess it up. <laughs> and so we, we made it, we muddled through And so, yeah, I taught seventh grade for four years there and then eighth grade for two. And then uh, my wife and I, we moved uh, further north in Austin and the drive commute just to Bastrop wasn't really feasible anymore. So um, I got a job uh, in Round Rock, which is just north of Austin uh, at Walsh Middle School and taught there for five and a half years until I resigned um, this past December.
0: Great, and now tell us what you do now, because I think it's really fascinating.
1: <laughs> so while I was at uh, Walsh, uh, I've, uh, I started a, a game design class. And it's it's analog physical tabletop game design. Um, it's something that I've always done. I'm like a huge nerd. And uh, my kids, they used to design and develop and um, uh, actually manufacture their own games. And then they would take them to the South by Southwest uh, game convention and present them there. Um, and so, you know, when the lack of COVID response happened, uh, my wife said, you should maybe pursue this. You know, you've always wanted to write and you've always wanted to do design and development. Go for it. And so that's what I do now. I'm working on a project of my own and I'm uh, working for another company helping to develop their game that they've already put out. Um, and I'm writing uh, and developing for their all their expansions. And I also... Uh, freelance, right. For other game designers and for a website, uh, called Kick agency. Um, yeah. Awesome. So so we're going to
0: get into, we're going to get in your reasonings, your reasonings, your reason t- that you decided to resign. And we're going to get that into that for a second, but, um, let's talk about you Ben, and tell me how, first of all, you, um, where you work and also how you became the president of the union. How did that come about?
2: Sure. Um, I also worked at Walsh middle school and I have a oddly similar background to Zane, um, I come from a family of teachers and was determined not to teach as well. Um, And uh, I wanted to be an actor and was, moved to New York and worked there um, for 15 years as a working actor. Um, And But I realized that I had been teaching the entire time. So I was was teaching acting while I was acting. And uh, after I moved back to Austin, where I'm from, uh, I was born and raised here. In fact, I went to Round Rock ISD when I was a kid. I'm an alum. Um, All the way through my entire youth. Um, When we moved back here, I realized that uh, I should probably actually formalize the fact that I've been teaching for so many years and turn it into a real profession at the school level. And um, so I did. And I first person I contacted was Zane because I knew he had already gone through this process. um, And he kind of helped me find my way back into Round Rock ISD. Uh, As far as joining the union, that was COVID. Um, when I first got to the district and was working, you know, it was, uh, an interesting turn of events, but it was fine. And then COVID happened and I realized that the response to COVID was so poor, um, that I needed representation and why wasn't I a part of a union yet? I can't believe I hadn't done that. So I joined the union and, um, the union was in a state of flux. Uh, we had added a bunch of new members, but leadership was sort of exhausted. And I mentioned that I wanted to be one of the people in the room. And by doing that, I apparently offered myself up to become the president. Um, and I had I had started with another fellow teacher at Walsh, not saying a different teacher. Um, we had started a group that was kind of meeting to discuss COVID and try and help us handle problems. We basically started our own mini union of like people to kind of discuss what was going on across campus, how people were dealing with it and just give an outlet for teachers to express uh, the frustration that they felt and to try and find advice and um, a little bit of, of sympathetic ear. And so we'd actually gather together about 50 teachers who were meeting regularly. And I had been working to try and join the union. And when I did, the union uh, head was like, my God, you've already got 50 people united. Why are you not? You need to be in leadership and start doing that for the union. Um, we... Myself and my, my fellow teacher, Deanna Dawson, who were working on that, um, were kind of promptly ushered right into the upper echelons. And at the next election, I was voted as president and she was as treasurer. And, um, and we've been trying to steer the ship with the union ever since through the muddy waters of COVID and everything else going on
0: yeah so let's get into covid let's let's get into what the response was um to covid came to texas covid came everywhere it was starting yeah. in New work and then it got really bad in texas now you have a very interesting governor um
2: so, that's one term mm, for him sure
0: mm, yeah mm-hmm. i'll let you guys <laughs> go for it with that but um you know i i, I know the response was not good. Um, And considering that there's a lot of places that do not have unions, the fact that you had to start your own union, let's just start off with what happened when it first hit, when COVID first hit. I'll start with you, Zane, and then you can kind of explain what what happened with you and leaving.
1: Um, Okay. Um, I mean, honestly, uh, when when COVID first hit, um, I, I would say initially there was a fairly strong response. Uh, you know, um, Texas locked down just like most other places. Um, you know, by March of 2020, kids were all virtual. Um, and at that point, you know, just like everybody else, nobody knew what was gonna happen or, or how COVID even worked. Um, and so everybody was just trying to play it safe. Um, there was a lot, already there was grumbling and belly aching. From some folks, but again, I think there was enough uh, uncertainty that that people were willing to kind of go along with it. Um, and then, you know, when we came back in the fall of 2020, um, again, it was uh, entirely virtual. But already, right from the beginning, there was this idea of like, yeah, but we we need to get kids back in the classroom, um, which. You know there is some truth to right. Like there are some kids that that definitely need that. Um, but the the issue or where where it became a problem was there there didn't seem to be any um, unified response as far as um, how can we accommodate people who don't feel safe at school versus those who do, and and that's that's what ended up knocking me out. Um, And uh, you know when I I have I have asthma, and you know I you know have been a long distance runner um, since I was a young teenager, and try to keep in really good health. And even still, there are times when it just knocks me out. Um, And so you know at the time they were telling people if you have asthma, like I had a doctor saying like you should not be up there. and, and when I say there was a lack of a unified response, it came in the form of, you know, me going to the school and uh, saying, okay, I have a doctor telling me this, I'd like to stay home and continue to teach remotely, all the, all the kids who want to be taught remotely. And they were saying, well, you have to be up in the building to teach kids remotely. And I, was, I said what? Like I to... We too. We
0: had to. We had I had to do that in my school too. Yes. Right.
1: And and so I went to the to the district and said, um, you know, I I have a doctor's note. I would like to teach remotely, and they said, no, you got to be in the classroom. Then I called another a former AP of mine at another Round Rock campus and said, hey, are y'all making your teachers come up if if they don't feel safe? And she said, no. If you want to, if you need feel you need to stay home and teach remotely, you can. And and so that's where I was it became really frustrating, is because you know it 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 was totally just patchwork by campus. Um and you had administrators telling you, no, the district is telling us one thing. And and then you have other administrators saying, no, that's not true at all. And no one really seemed to know what was going on um or how to how to handle it at, at that point. And you know, Texas being a very red state, the, the grumbling from parents, um, in the community was was definitely getting louder and louder about why are the kids still home? Why are we having to you know, you know, uh, everything like you said that's been in the news. So, I don't know, if that, does that answer your question?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it does, it does. Um, how was it in terms of were teachers getting sick? I mean, what was yeah. in terms of. Covid going around. Was there issues with teachers getting sick? Was there? Um, oh,
1: absolutely.
0: Deaths? um did you have? It, how bad did it get?
1: I, I remember. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact number. So they they did, Round Rock was really good, and they did put up like a Covid tracker, so you could see how each campus was doing and how many how many cases. I want to say the. Um, there was a, a time when they had told me that, I would need to. Um, come back to campus when I was still working out, you know, whether or not I could, I could stay home. Because my other option I put out was I said, I'll just go on FMLA until I can get, um, you know, a, a vaccine. And, um, you know, I was like, just let me stay on that. I've got enough, I can last until February. You know, even if I have to go unpaid, I'll get the vaccine, I'll, I want to come back and teach. Um, but, um, Anyway, so I, I went on FMLA, and uh, I want to say the week that I left for that, there was something like 30 or 40 cases just in our school that were tested positive that week. It was something like six teachers and 30-something kids, um, and uh, yeah, and, and all the teachers, you know, my I was talking to my team up there. How's it going? And they were like, oh my god, you! <laughs> I wish we were staying. I wish we could afford to to go on FMLA right now, you know,
0: because- right. you explain what FMLA is?
1: Oh, sorry, fam- the, the family medical leave of absence. Um, yeah, and essentially what you do is you just run out your leave. And then um, after that, you just stay an employee, an unpaid employee. So I was willing to go basically unpaid from um, middle of November to February, just so that I could get the vaccine and then come back to teaching. Um, but that ended up uh, the, the district ended up axing that they said unless your doctor's willing to say that you're completely incapacitated. You know, it didn't matter that I had a doctor saying it's unsafe for you to be there. It had to be that I was bedridden or they refused to let me stay on FMLA. Right. Yeah. So after I ran out of uh, vacation and personal leave, I just had to quit.
0: Oh, my God, that's insane. So, Ben tell me about your what your experiences was with COVID, and then um, how you got to where you were.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I was on the same campus as Zane, so for the first part of it, I agree, like, like most of the world. Uh, oops, sorry, there we go better. Uh, like most of the world we we shut down initially, um, and there was a very um, avid response, like fearful and, and concerned response that was very cautious initially. Um. But then, then things kind of went went all to poo as they do, and uh, the biggest part of the problem was the confusion and the misinformation that was flying around, and um, and again, as Zane said, that there's the structure of the way schools are run in Texas is such that you have these, I call it the feudal system you have a series of little fiefdoms that are all sort of independently run and loosely connected to a larger group at the top. Um, But in and of themselves, they can be run however you want until somebody from much further above comes and makes a a stink about it. Uh, And because of that, um, there is not a unified response to most things. Um, And in this case, it wasn't unified and it was uh, slapdash and it was confused. And there was a serious lack of caution because of some of the assumptions that were made about COVID. There was this assumption that kids don't get it, kids don't suffer from it, so it's not dangerous. Which immediately assumed that teachers are expendable. I mean, this goes back to the old issue that teachers were expected to suck it up and take it, and why are you complaining? Um, and and you know, which we very very quickly sank back into that problem. Um, and there were a lot of people who were like, well, if you don't want to do this, then maybe you shouldn't be in this in this line of work, like if you're not willing to sacrifice yeah. your life for the kids, then you're not a good teacher. Um, all ignoring the fact that we have kids and relatives and wives and husbands and loved ones at home who have vulnerabilities, and ignoring the fact that on our campus alone, we had multiple people with, um, with physical liabilities with with that that they suffer from that make them more likely to get and suffer the worst possible um, outcomes from COVID. In fact, uh, there was a member of our campus, her husband was the first one to die in the state, as I understand it from COVID.
1: Yep, he was.
2: Um, The very first one. And so we suffered the first loss on our campus and our campus was like, well, you should come back. Um, And then uh, one of our teachers who was in recovery from uh, cancer treatment, she got COVID. And someone else who was on our campus who suffers from multiple issues with thyroid and other things and diabetes, she got COVID. And we started seeing kids who, uh, once we started bringing people back onto the campus, and they forced us back onto campus to teach them, um, we started having kids who were like, uh, my uncle just died, or my cousin just died, or my, you know, family members of theirs, usually older, were dying, and... I remember last year when we had much stricter COVID procedures that were in place, and I was still angry about it because we didn't have a vaccine yet. But, um, you know, the kids were masked, they were separated, we were tracking things not very well, like, honestly, both on our on individual campuses, and certainly at the district level, there are huge gaps in the tracking system. So, you know, there would be somebody who got COVID, and they'd be like, we can't tell you who got COVID in your room, just give us a floor plan. And I'd be like, that's really not sufficient uh and why can't you tell me and they'd be like HIPAA and I was like HIPAA doesn't apply to students that's FERPA but um and I'm allowed to know their medical data because you publish it to me every year so that I can safeguard them from other issues and they're like we're not allowed to tell you it's uh it's HIPAA and I was like that's a lie so you're just not going to tell me and they'd be like no we're not going to tell you okay um and then so students would get COVID in your room and the only way you knew if you did know was that they might ask you who was nearby them. Uh, and then you would, and you did your best. I'm in a portable, so trying to make sure that kids are six feet apart with desks in a portable is virtually impossible. Um, and that was with reduced numbers because we had a lot of kids who were online. And, and naturally the learning environment suffered. We're teaching not just online, but hybrid. So you're having to engage students who are present engage students who are offsite and try and get them communicate with each other, which was very hard because they were self-segregating. Well, that person's online, they don't matter. We're online, why aren't you teaching us? Like there was a a huge divide that was being created between those two groups. It was an ugly mess. Um, Some teachers were like, I ignore the online ones. And some teachers were like, well, they ignore me. I don't know how to engage them if they're not, if they're just turning their cameras off. So there were a lot of issues with that. And at the beginning of COVID and doing virtual learning, my wife has been creating virtual learning for like 20 years. She's been in the forefront of that for a long time. And I had a conversation with her early on where she was like, takes 20, minimum 25 to 50 hours to build one hour of instruction time online because it's not just you have a lesson plan, it's have you built in all of the media that you're gonna use? Have you structured everything? Have you tested it? Is it ready for someone to actually teach? Uh, There's an enormous amount of front end work that has to go into this. And I brought this up at a meeting in our school and the principal's like, stop being a naysayer. You know, we don't need negativity here. Um, And we, so early on, I started encountering the toxic positivity that was like, if you're not a yes, man, then you're against us. Um, Which really enraged me because it was basically saying, if you point out the problems so that we can fix them, we're going to get mad at you. Um, which prevented any kind of functional growth inside of that system. So we had that issue. uh, But then we had and we had a barely functional tracking system, but certainly better than we have now, Um, you know, and and we had masks that were enforced um, pretty rigorously, despite frustration on some people's part. And um, but even then, I had kids who I they would be weeping in my class and I would pull them aside and be like, what's what's going on? How are you doing? And this child, this 12 year old child would tell me that two of their uncles were dead and it was their fault because they had COVID. Mm, um, and, and you can't look at them and go, that's not true because you don't know. Uh, right. I mean, that's the sad thing about COVID. I was terrified the whole time that if I got COVID or even if I didn't, if I didn't know because I could have had it been asymptomatic that a child who passed away in my class that I was responsible for them because I couldn't prove I wasn't. Right. Um, and that was, that was just gut-wrenching and, and heartbreaking to even think about that. And when I brought this up with, um, with inside like a small circle inside just my, um, my learning group, uh, there were a bunch of us who were really frustrated with it. And we kind of mentioned, I mentioned that I was going to speak at one of the board meetings and one of our, my fellow teachers were going to speak at the board meeting. Suddenly I got pulled into a meeting with a whole bunch of admin, like second level admin. So suddenly there was a bunch of assistant district superintendents three of them that all wanted to talk to us out of nowhere um and they were trying to pressure us to shut up Mm -hmm. and i was like we have an ethical responsibility to protect our students in texas certainly um i wish this was the national standard but certainly in the state you know we have ethics rules that basically say you're not allowed to put a child in danger and i said you know that this is a dangerous situation because they're not six feet apart which the cdc says is necessary You've said that you've agreed with it publicly and yet, you know, they're not in that position and yet you're forcing them in this, in this state. And I said, so that's knowingly putting them in danger. Where do we stand on our ethical requirements? Because you're educators, you're required to fulfill the same ethical standards that I am as a teacher. And you're telling me I have to do this. So how do we answer the ethical conundrum? And what I got was, why are you such a naysayer? Mm. Um, and really what it came down to is that had I complained to TEA, no one would have prosecuted because everybody was flipping out trying to figure out how to, like, no one had a good solution uh, because they were desperate to get kids back in seats. They didn't prepare for how to do virtual learning. They didn't do the work for virtual learning, which means that virtual learning sucked. And also students of a certain age are not capable of self-motivation. Right. Um, I know in New York, my brother was uh, a city employee and they shifted a bunch of city employees to basically be managers of these farms they rented out buildings and they would space them out computers were set up and they would have people who had teaching experience coaches from swimming and all this kind of stuff but city employees they brought in and they said all right you're going to help them navigate online learning so they're going to be in these like position farms where they're spaced out their teachers from their school are going to be instructing them and you're going to be there to help help them solve basic it problems, how to log in. You're going to help them navigate their lessons. You're going to help them stay focused on work. Um, and that system worked a lot better than certainly than what we had, where it was, you're at home with parents who either are confused, don't understand what's going on, don't want to engage in what's going on or aren't there because they're working and cannot be there to make sure that you're not playing roadblocks while you're supposed to be learning. Yeah. Um, so there was a total failure from start to finish to deal with in a real and applicable way, the massive need that was present when COVID happened and the massive need that's present with online learning. And people who did speak up and be like, that's not how online learning works, were immediately kind of suffocated and told to shut up because the people in charge were afraid because they didn't have a good answer.
1: Yeah. It, sorry, man, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But no, no, it, go ahead. I've been talking almost... for a while. <laughs> it it really, I mean, I, I know you and I talked about this and I talked about this with several other people. It really felt like online learning was was being purposely kneecapped in order to get students back in the classroom. Right. Um, Governor Abbott had been saying from very early on that, that that's that that's what they wanted. And to be fair, like I, you know, I want to, I wanna I wanna present the fact that I hundred percent understand that at the beginning there were a lot of questions uh, you know how do we keep kids six feet apart when we only have a finite amount of room you know and they're not easy questions how do we get a kid to learn in an online environment well, these, these when they have like a screaming that baby that they're taking care of in in the background
2: i agree and these were questions and, that many of us had tried to answer i mean this was brought right. up like there were people who said Oh, you have the power. You presently have the power to have shifted this in such a way where elementary school kids are in a high school campus spread out where there's more room. High school kids were capable of online learning or at home. Um, And you're not forcing kids who are incapable of handling this into this dangerous situation. You're spreading them out like there were ways to shift all of this around and make it function. But it would have required a really strong hand from the top to be like, this is the solution. We're going to run with it.
1: And again, it's what we
2: had was a, was a, was a piecemeal. We're all afraid of everything, not a solution that didn't work at all.
1: Uh, I mean, Round Rock just this year for the first time in a long time finally did. what all the teachers had been asking them for a long time, which was let teachers who are comfortable teaching from home, teach from home, let kids who are good at learning from home, learn from home and only make the kids come back who need to be back. Are you talking about
0: this year? well
2: actually that's not entirely true
0: i was gonna say i I thought that all kids i know in new york and i thought this was the same in texas that all kids had to return
2: no we have we have a very twisted system round rock isd you encountered the problem where you had a lot of uh the, the kids who could get the vaccine uh so everyone in high school and basically 12 and up um there was there was this push to get them back in school immediately right right uh, and there were a lot of family members at home who have younger kids like myself, my daughter's mm-hmm. five, and she's in kindergarten. She can't get the vaccine. And a lot of us were like, I you know, I can't send my kid out and I'm not going to send them and you need to give me another option. Yeah, and right up until school started. This was an unsolved problem that finally the board was like, we have to have a virtual solution. And there was fights in the state. And Abbott was like, pushing down stuff through the TEA, the Texas Education oh, God, and, and he was like, he was like, because he has his own appointee as the one in char- on the, the head of that. And he was like, uh, you're not going to be able to do that. And uh, I'll punish you if you start a virtual school. I'll remove all your funding. Right. So he, there was all this top-down pressure that gave no respect to the needs or wants of the people in that district. And um, and finally, the, the school's districts just rebelled. They were like, mm, we don't care. We're going to do it anyway. Go ahead and punish us. Because once they do it in mass, then the governor had to step back, and he did. He basically had to be like, "I'm not going to do anything about that," even though I told you I'd punish you for violating this. Everybody did it, so I just have to deal with it.
1: Well, and the school districts had to do that and step up because there was this mass exodus of students from districts. Parents were—I mean, I know people who were <laughs> withdrawing their kids because wow. of the same. I mean, we have a—we have some friends. Uh, they have a son who's the same age as my son. He's—he's he's eight. He has uh, something called prater willi syndrome, which is a you know, incredibly rare genetic disorder that makes them incredibly susceptible to things like COVID,
2: wow. and
1: and they're they're not in the Austin school district. They're in a school district that um, is much smaller and refused to do an online uh, uh, learning site, and so they withdrew him and she had to, she's quit her job for the most part and is having to homeschool.
0: Right, I mean, it's happening a a lot. uh, So my question right now is what is happening now? What is happening with mask mandates, vaccine mandates? And how are those school board meetings?
2: (laughs) Oh my God. So I don't even go to
1: the school board meetings. You take that.
2: It is the greatest, it is the the craziest theater you've ever seen. I say that as a theater teacher, like you've never seen anything like this. Um, Real Housewives has nothing on this. So- um, I, I have been to most of the school board meetings since before I became president. Um, recently, like the last year and a year or so, and um, it's 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 banana pants. It's crazy. Um, first of all, there was we we did institute virtual school. Um, it was a fight to get it done, and it was poorly done. And the district at the time, I remember that school board meeting. The district was like, "Oh, the governor gave us a pass on this. So we're so thankful we don't have to do this." And the district, the board members were like, how dare you? You just said you can ignore children uh, and their education. Uh, how dare you go back and fix it and bring me something tomorrow? Uh, and the new the new district superintendent for Round Rock at least had the grace to be like, okay, I hear you. We're going to come back with something else. One of the assistant district superintendents was like, let me just try and prevaricate for a minute. And the district superintendent was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to shut our mouths and come back tomorrow with a plan um they came back with not a real great plan uh that still has problems that are reverberating now there's not enough teachers for the the online program the curriculum was forced out quickly and not so well um and the teachers who are teaching it are in a limbo because there's now a new problem which is if teachers get pulled into the virtual program by their principals there's no guarantee they'll come back to their campus later on because they've been, districts basically said okay as kids return to campuses in person we will suck you back onto whatever campus needs you regardless of where you're working before which while they have the legal right to do is a huge slap in the face to teachers who move to be next to the school they work in um or whose kids go to the the, inside the the uh the line of progression in schools that they work in but now they're being asked to be they're being forced to be working in a completely different school system or with different colleagues are being kind of pushed across district um with no expectation they'll ever make it back again it's not a temporary thing they're like you're now you're there so you're going to be there for the foreseeable future um meanwhile they are furloughing teachers right now because of the numbers but the numbers are squiffy because we have virtual where there's less teachers per kid and then we have butts in seat and the State reimbursement for that is not the same. So the state refuses to reimburse the same level for virtual. It's much reduced. So a virtual kid is not worth as much money, which is why we don't put as many teachers in there because they're not paying for that many teachers by by attending it. Right. Um, so now we have all these teachers who they're basically being like, we need you to be teaching, but we can't afford you. So we're going to get rid of you um, or we're going to, We're going to move you around trying desperately to keep you in the system using alternate certifications to put you in some other role where we don't have anybody. And there's a mass exodus of teachers who are going, this is hell, I'm getting out. And so there's a huge brain drain of like our best and brightest. And people like Zane, who had been teaching for years and were well-respected, not only on their campus, but in the district, were like, I'm out. And the teachers, the majority of teachers who are on my campus right now, are either the the diehards who have been teaching the same way for 40 years and they're gonna teach the same way until they die with their boots on. Um, and it's they're the basically night. like, yeah, or <laughs> or a bunch of brand new people who've come in and, and are like fresh out of college and have no idea how to teach. And their yeah. introduction to teaching was in the insane world of, of COVID. Oh, I know. Where, and and they, so they're not even learning the structures that they need. Um, and then when you get to the board meetings and masks, holy Christ, <laughs> um i i have been i stood at a public uh meeting with one of our board members with a bunch of doctors advocate and other educators advocating that we must have a mask mandate please because we want to save your kids and i was surrounded by a throng of parents who were anti-maskers who screamed bloody murder, like foaming at the mouth that I was a criminal, a communist, uh, a Satanist, an evil person. And they were like ready to tear me limb from limb because I said, I wanna save your kid's life. Right. And I stood on the Georgetown courthouse steps and listened to this vituperative and they had their kids with them all there unmasked. And they had their kids and they were teaching their kids to little kids to scream, "You're, you're evil, you're a bastard at teachers who were trying to save their lives
0: oh my god I mean when does it end listen we're gonna have to wrap up in a couple minutes but um I mean I I just how do you survive this I mean Ben you're still in the system how are you gonna how are you gonna how are you gonna get by on a day-to-day basis with all of this coming at you
2: I'll be honest I don't know (laughs) I've had I had a converse this week the last two weeks have been very hard very hard the kids are um near feral (laughs) we're in the process still of trying to teach kids who've been two years out of the system and are now in the middle of junior high with no social emotional understanding or learning trying to teach them like this is how you function as a as a as a teenager in a world this is these are behaviors that are unacceptable um and and they're just it's it's such a cognitive dissonance for many of these children it's really hard but i've had conversations with teachers who i pass i'm like how are you doing how are you holding up and I've had so many teachers come to me and go, "This is the single worst year of teaching I have ever experienced." I think in twenty years, twenty five years.
0: I that's, I think it's universal. Yeah, yeah
2: and people who are like, "I'm going to quit." I'm this like, I had one guy come up to me yesterday and say, "I almost quit today. I think I might quit tomorrow. I don't know. I'll tell you tomorrow."
0: Oh my god. Well, listen, I um, my heart goes out to you. Um, Zane, I'm sorry that your incredible career as a teacher had to end so early but you're probably in a safer, better place. And I hate to say that because I, I, I really believe in teachers and I really believe that, um, you know, I don't know the, what the world would do without us, obviously. It wouldn't survive without teachers. Um, so anyway, I'm going to have to end this, but I want to thank both of you for coming on that Warriors of Education podcast with me today. And Thanks for I, having us. I, yeah. thank you for informing us about what's going on. And I thank you so much for being part of it. And I wish you the best of
2: luck. Thank you. I'm sorry it's a, it's a bigger conversation than we can fit. In the I know of time we'll we bring have. You
0: back, we'll bring you back. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Warriors of Education. This podcast is produced by me, Karen Sarah Watson, edited by Alitsa Renzi, and recorded in Brooklyn, New York. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you download podcasts. If you are a teacher or know a teacher who would like to share a story, contact us at Warriors of Education at gmail.com or on our website, warriorsofeducation.com. Teachers, we hear you, we see you, we honor you. Thank you.